0: Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 8. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We'll be reading verses 1 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are, being, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, You will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you here today. Thanks for choosing to gather with us again this weekend, especially if you already checked the box on Friday night. Really appreciate that. So we're up late Christmas Eve, up early Christmas morning, critters crawling around, ready to go. And uh, so at about 5 o'clock, we start the movie, for the, like our, our movie for the day. And I look at the kids. I'm like, yeah, hey, we can probably get this in before bedtime. And everybody looks at me like, before bedtime, and it was only 5 o'clock. My body was telling me it was, it was bedtime. And sure enough, I was asleep. About five minutes into the movie, sprawled out on the couch with Owen on top of me, an extra layer of insulation. So it was a beautiful nap. And all that to say, uh, that happened to me yesterday. So I understand when five minutes into this talk, uh, you may also find yourself blissfully unaware of what's going on. Uh, no judgment today. I understand you're, you're probably sleep deprived this weekend. Let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. Not our kingdom, not our will, but your kingdom and your will. Not out there, but in here and in our hearts We pray that you would give us today our daily bread, the nourishment that our souls need for today, not tomorrow. Help us to be present right now in today. Father, you know that my heart has its own little set of legs and feet. It likes to run and run from you. So Father, I pray for myself and for my family members here and for my friends here that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. Father, remind us, yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Help us to see the liberating beauty of those statements. It's not our kingdom. That's not our glory. We have nothing to prove to each other. There's no pressure to pretend that we're something other than what we are. Father, help us to rest here today. Nothing to prove to each other. Father, your kingdom, your power, your glory, I pray that you would unleash your power through the work of your spirit for our good and for your fame. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So I love Advent season, but it is now in the rear view mirror, which means our Advent series is a thing of the past and we're getting back to our journey through the gospel according to John. And we were were making progress. We left off in, John. we had just finished John chapter 7. And we repeated the same theme every week, so I know you know what the big idea of John is, right? All right. Yeah. Jesus is life. Fantastic. Jesus is life. So we pick up in chapter 8 today, but in case you're breaking in, right, you're brand new to, to the series or you're visiting us today, let's just do a little recap. Let's, honestly, let's do a recap for all of us, because it's been five weeks and I don't remember much beyond five minutes. So John 7. Jesus was in Jerusalem at a festival, a Jewish festival known as the Feast of Booths, basically equivalent to our Thanksgiving. And you remember the crowd was very, very divided, very divided. Some people believed what Jesus was saying, that he was the promised rescuing king, the Messiah. Many others disbelieved him. Almost all of the religious leaders not only disbelieved him, but rejected him and hated, hated what he was saying. So the crowd was divided, and in this divided crowd, Jesus kindly looked out, and it was beautiful, remember, because his brothers would have been present in this divided crowd, and some of them were not currently believing him, and Jesus looked them in the eye, and he said, to any of you who are thirsty, believe me, and he equated believing with drinking, and he said, in believing me, you will be drinking a soul-satisfying drink that will, will satisfy the longings of your heart in a way you have never been satisfied before. He went on to explain that for those of us who believe when we drink, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity resides with us, and he said, it is my spirit who will satisfy the thirst of your soul. Guys, that was a good reminder for us because we live in a culture where probably, arguably, the number one religion is consumerism. And we have been discipled into a way of believing and actually we're just kind of blind to how much we do church the church of consumerism where we believe that this will satisfy me and that will satisfy me and if I just buy it, my desires will be met. That same consumerism creeps into our relationships too, right? If we can improve our stuff or get more stuff, I will have a more satisfied heart. If I can upgrade relationally or if my heart has grown cold and I swap out or get new or get better, I will be satisfied. And John 7 is a beautiful gift from our Father to look us right in the eye and say, Son, you're not thinking right. Daughter, that's that's not it. You want satisfaction in your soul believe me. Drink deeply. I will give you my spirit and you will have a deep rooted contentment no matter how chaotic or broken your circumstances. That was John 7. So Jesus is in the temple. He leaves. He goes up to the Mount of Olives. He spends a night there alone. And guys, we'll be here all night too. If Can we get the game clock going? Because I'll just talk, 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 talk. There it is. Thanks. So he goes up to the Mount of Olives and gets time alone. And in the morning, he comes back to the temple and he resumes his teaching, right? John 8, we just heard it read for us by Grant. And as he's teaching, the religious leaders bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. Now, they don't care about her. She is nothing more than a prop for the conversation that they want to have. They want to trap Jesus. And so they're just using this woman. They have no concern for her as a human being and no concern for justice because if they did, where's where's the other half, right? It's just her. We'll explore that more in a little bit. Jesus calls them out. He confronts them one by one, walk away. And then Jesus looks her in the eyes and says, where are all the people condemning you? She looks around. The crowd had dissipated. She said, I I don't know. And he says, well, daughter, I don't condemn you either. Here's mercy and forgiveness. Now go on your way, but leave your life of sin. And So she leaves. Jesus resumes his teaching. He announces, hey, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness another day of your life. This, This began another cycle of what we see over and over again, where the religious leaders hated what he was saying. Now, why would they hate that? It sounds innocent enough, right? I am the light of the world. What, what would be wrong with that? Well, here's the deal. Saying I am the light of the world, is, is equi- it's a, it's, he's equating himself with God. I am God. That's the only way you can say that. Like if you go to work tomorrow morning, which hopefully you're not, but if you do, and you announce to your people, hey, guys, I had an epiphany over Christmas, just so you know, like I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you're never going to walk in darkness again. How are they going to respond? Right, you're, you're either, You've either lost your mind or you have an inflated view of your... That, that is an incredible statement to make about yourself. So Jesus was equating himself with God. So this triggered one of their cycles where the religious leaders want to trap him for being blasphemous. Who are you to call yourself God? And they invoked that, that customary law that they had that you could not testify for yourself. There had to be a multitude of witnesses or you were a liar and Jesus said, well, I'm not the only one saying this about myself. It's my father too. Uh, you don't believe him, which got them further riled up because now he's talking about, he know they know he's talking about God, the father. And they hate that he's saying, I am God's son, because again, that's equating himself with God. And then Jesus tells them, look, you don't—you think you know God. The fo- you don't even know my dad. So that angers them even more. And then Jesus, with compassion, but also with some real conviction, looks them in the eyes and says to them, look, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die. You will die in your sins. The conversation unfolds a little bit more, And as it begins to wind down, John says that there were many people around Jesus who heard his words, who began to believe in him that day. And that is the first half of John 8, but it's also an invitation to us. We will consider Jesus' words together this morning, and perhaps you have never believed in Jesus, and so it is your invitation to believe Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the light of the world and that if you follow him now, there will not be another day of blind darkness in your life. But it's also an invitation for those of us who have believed, because in believing Jesus, it's a belief that is renewed in every day and in every moment. So let's just let's put all the kind of the religious tradition that we're used to aside, guys, and just be real with each other. You have believed Jesus in the past, and maybe you believed him yesterday. Fantastic. Your heart needs to believe him again this morning. You got to believe again, believe again. So let's believe Jesus again. What's our big idea for the day? Here it is. Kill your sin or your sin will be killing you. Or alternatively, four ways not to die in 2022. And you're like, thanks, John. Yesterday was Christmas. What a positive sermon title to head into the new year. You really must have been thinking of us this week. Uh, Now, admittedly, that is a negative way, and I I actually thought of that yesterday, and I thought, that's not very kind or loving. So, um, but I do believe it's anchored in the text, and it's anchored, no, you can bring that up. I think it's anchored right here, too. This was some of my early inspiration. You you can read it for yourself. When you realize 2022 is pronounced 2020 (laughs) And so many of us are heading into this year just with that skepticism and that cynicism already. We need the light of the gospel to dispel some of that darkness. So uh, culturally, many people think pastors work a couple hours a day, one day a week, and they find most of their inspiration for sermons on the internet through memes like that. So let me just show you where that idea, both stated negatively and positively, is rooted in our chapter. I want you to see that it comes right from the Bible. Okay, kill your sin or your sin will be killing you. Four ways not to die in 2022. Or put it up here, we'll say it this way. How about this? Is this better? Four ways to live fully in 2022 or four ways to, we want things to be beautiful, right? Four ways to live beautifully in 2022 because that's what the gospel is. It restores us to the beautiful life that the Father created us for. So you can do that one if you didn't like my clickbait title. Here's where the idea is in the text. Verse 21, Jesus said, I am going away and you will seek me. But what? You will die in your sin. And then again, down in verse 24, Jesus said, I t- uh, listen, I'm going to say it again. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he third time. You will die in your sins. then that theme is stated differently at the end of the story of the woman caught in adultery. Notice verse 11. uh, Jesus asks her in verse 10, hey, where are the people who are condemning you? She's like, I I don't know, the crowd's gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and then what? From now on, sin no more. Or it'd be better translated, Leave your life of sinning. Leave your life of rebelling from the God who created you. Kill your sin, or your sin will be killing you. There are four expressions of this idea, or maybe I should say, four ways to live that we'll consider from the text this morning, and here they are. Four ways to live next year, four ways to live into the beautiful life of the gospel. Believe Jesus, follow Jesus. My favorite, drop your rock and roll. Don't get nervous, I'll explain it. I just tried to get cute and you're not supposed to when you preach, but there it is. Um, And work from rest, okay? Those four themes are in the text this morning. Four ways to live beautifully in light of the gospel in 2022. Or if you're just, you like the negative, four ways not to die. Kill your sin or your sin will be killing you. Believe Jesus, follow Jesus, drop your rock and roll and work from rest. Okay, let's pick it up with the first, believe Jesus, so right there again in verses 21 to 25, let me just read it one more time. So the text is uh, exactly what Jesus says is in our minds. He says, um, I'm going away. You're going to seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, and they thought he was going to suicide. That's what they thought. They said, is he going to kill himself? I mean, since he's saying where he's going, we can't come. What in the world does he mean? So Jesus clarifies for them. He said to them, listen, you are from below, and I am from above. You were of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe, here it is, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, we'd kind of like Jesus to finish that sentence, right? I am he what? What? I am he who. Well, that's exactly what they say. So they said to him, well, who are you? If you want us to believe who you are, tell us who that is. And Jesus said to them, guys, it's just what I've been telling you from the beginning. It's not that I'm not finishing my sentences. You don't like the second half of my sentences. You like me as a nice moral teacher, but you don't like when I finish after the comma and tell you that I'm your creator and redeemer and the authority of your life. You don't like me infringing on your sense of autonomy and self-determination. You don't like me infringing on your sense of morality. You don't like the second half of the sentence. But I'm going to take you back to the beginning. And guys, that's what we need to do. Because culturally, you could go out, you could go on base right now. You could go back to your hometown. Many of you wish you could for Christmas. You could take a little piece of paper and a pencil out on the street. And overwhelmingly even though we are in what many would like. I mean, these words are old, but post-Christian, that word's been used since I was a kid, right? So we're post, 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 whatever we are now. We're just post, whatever. Overwhelmingly, people will still give intellectual assent to, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe he lived. Yeah, I, was a, I believe he was a good moral teacher. Go to certain pockets of the country. It is a cultural expression that you are a Christian, right? So if everyone believes in Jesus, nobody believes in Jesus. Like, what is it? So we need to wrestle with this this morning, and look, because I bet you, since most of us are in here, most of us, maybe you're visiting, and fantastic, if you don't yet believe in Jesus, I'm really glad you're here, and um, we're not going to come at you in any certain kind of way, so you can, you can take a deep breath. But for those of you who are in here who, prof- yeah, I believe in Jesus, well, do we? We believe on Sunday, Do we believe on Monday? We believe on the brightest of days. What about the darkest of days? We believe when the sun is shining. Do we believe in the clouds? We believe when things are good. What about when things are bad? So Jesus says, you gotta believe that I am he. Now, the reason the religious leaders were so angry is because the vocabulary that Jesus was using here is kind of lost on us, is an exact quote of an entire chapter, essentially, of Isaiah. 43, and using those words, I am he, in Isaiah 43, it's God the Father speaking to his people Israel, obviously explaining that he is God, but who he is as God. So to understand what Jesus is calling us to in belief, let's turn there to Isaiah 43, and the first will be verses 10 and 11. It's right on the screen for you. It says this. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. And here are the words. Understand that what? I am he. Same thing that Jesus said in his crowd. He's he's quoting from Isaiah 43. Well, I am he who? Who who am I? Now, uh, again, guys, don't try to click to these slides. I I didn't give you these, but if your Bibles are open, just slip right up to the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah 43. Well, who are you? Well, Verse 1, now thus says the Lord, he who created you. That's who he is, your creator. So the people in the crowd get it when Jesus says, you got to believe that I am he. Who is he? Your creator. I gave you life. I formed you, O Israel. Now listen, he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. All right, so here's where we can start diagnosing our hearts. We're like, I believe Jesus. Do you? Do you know what the greatest symptom of disbelief or unbelief is? Fear. And what does he say right here? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. There's my first pocket of unbelief, guys. Every day of my life, I got some fear, because my circumstances become bigger than my God. And I disbelieve that he's called me by name, John. And so you're going to be my boy. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think you're that personal God. I don't feel that. And then he says, you are mine. And on my worst day, I'm like, there's no way that's true. So there is an initial pocket of unbelief in my heart. Now, verse two, this is gonna expose a pocket of unbelief for some of us too. Because fam, listen, some of you are here right now, okay? Here it is, verse two. When you pass through the waters, what? I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Guys, the rising river, the flood, the fire, the circumstances, this is poetry, the circumstances that we would compare to those things overwhelm us, and we think we will drown in that river. There's a pocket of unbelief. We don't believe that Jesus is Because he said, I'll be with you, and I'm going to bring you through, and it will not consume you. I'm the Lord your God. Here's what else we don't believe. Look at verse 4. Look at this. Look at these very personal words. Son, daughter, you are precious in my eyes. We would love to hear that from some people in our lives. Here's God. You are precious in my lives and honored. And what? What? I love you. Where do we disbelieve this? God, if you loved me, why? God, if you loved me, what in the world? Because we got pockets of unbelief all over the place. Fear not, for I am with you. Jesus is calling to us today to believe that He is this one, He is this God. Not on Sundays, but on Mondays when the river wa- rise. So the question we need to ask then, are we believing today that he is God or have our circumstances overwhelmed or overtaken our view of God and our faith has been replaced by fear? He is, okay? Here's the next one. Uh, verse, let's go to 13. Isaiah says, also henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Guys, in our cultural expression of Christianity, we're just like, I got it, I got this. Being a Christian is pretty easy. I can do this. No, you can't. Life is hard, and it will break you down. And if you think you're doing it right now, I just gotta tell you, Jesus will look you in the eyes kindly and say you're living in an illusion. Every breath you take is a gift from God's hand. Every moment of your life is a gift. You and I need him to work on our behalf. Nobody can turn his work back. You know who can turn my work back? Everybody, me especially. I turn my work back all the time. Life turns my work back all the time. God alone does work that is not turned back. You need hope this morning. You need reconciliation. You need restoration. What do you need? You need God. You need Jesus. Believe he is this one. You need him to work. That's the kind of work you need because nobody can turn that back. Verse 25 says, "I, I am he. There it is again. I am he. That's what Jesus keeps saying in John 8. I am he. I am he who blots out your transgressions for whose sake? My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Guys, we got serious pockets of unbelief right here because if God the Father forgets our sins, why are we remembering each other's and remembering our own so much so that they define everything right now? You know what the beautiful piece of this verse is, though? He blots out our transgressions for whose sake? Oh, you know why that's good news for us? It's really good news because we're just like little people, little kids. How many times have we had to confess the same thing to our father? A lot, right? So if that verse were stated differently and he was forgiving us for our own sake, we would be on really thin ice right now. Actually, let's just tell the truth. We all would have fallen through, plunged into icy waters with no rescue. It's really good that he forgives us for his own sake. One more believing who Jesus is. Chapter 46, verse 4. He says, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you. Oh, that's verse, my bad, that's chapter 45. That's really good, but that's not what I want to show you. Um, 46, 4. Sorry, I was reading 45, 4. This man, even to your old age, I am he. There's those words again. And to gray hairs or no hairs, I will carry you. Fam, for some of you, this is the only thing that you needed to see this morning and then go ahead and take your nap. This is it. This is for you. What does Jesus say to you? I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. You gotta believe, Jesus says, that I am he. This is, who, this is the he I am talking about. So as we consider the ways not to die in 2022 or the ways to live beautifully, the way to live beautifully is to believe that Jesus is he and in the overwhelming rising flood that you walked in here with, to look to Jesus, to hear his words, even to your old age and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bury you. I will bury you. He might. And then he's gonna raise us to new life. I have made and I will bear you and I will carry and will save you. Stop carrying yourself. That's a symptom of unbelief. Stop being stronger, be truer. Acknowledge you are the weak son or daughter who desperately needs the father's hand. All right, believe, believe, believe. Jesus said you gotta believe. You gotta believe. So the first pathway to living beautifully next year is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is in these very personal ways. The second thing that Jesus would lead us to see in this passage is We've got to follow him. It's not enough to believe. We've got to follow Jesus. And look, guys, I'll just say it this way. My fear for us is culturally, again, with our expressions of Christianity, for most of us, our expressions for most of our lives have stopped at believing. Our culture nails that one. Like, I believe in Jesus. Oh, you're a Christian. No. You've got to follow Jesus. Let's see what Jesus is talking about. Belief leads to following verse 12 again jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life you know in my i've told you about my psalm readings i really like the book of common prayer and for today's readings it was in psalm 119 and i read psalm 119 105 this morning do you know what that verse says my word is what a lamp and a light to your path. What did Jesus just say right there? I am the light of the world. Jesus is the word, and we have his word. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will never walk in darkness again. Now, that word follow, guys, look. Sometimes we just overthink things. I think we overthink and overexplain things because it keeps us safe. If we can create a certain amount of ambiguity or difficulty around something like, eh, following Jesus, I mean, maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe it's different for you. Nah, we gotta cut that, guys. It's actually much simpler than we would imagine. Let me, let me, let me, me. Uh, so I went to seminary. Let me give you this big nugget that I got at, at seminary that I paid lots of money for. You can't follow somebody if they're not going first. So in order to follow Jesus, he's got to go first. There you go. There's one semester right there. <laughs> he's got to go first. Can I just ask you, like, is Jesus going first for you? Is he first? And here's, this might help us think through it a little better. Since he invoked light and lamps. Now, here's the other big money thing I learned at seminary. The writing of the scriptures predated the existence of automobiles, okay? So, I know, right? <sighs> So when he talks about lights and lamps, why is that significant? How do they get everywhere they go? They walk. So you got your light, pre-cell phone, you got your candle, you got a lamp, you got something, you got a torch so that you can see where you're going. All right, we got cars. We're not walking around with light lanterns and torches and all that. We've got cars. So Um, headlights. We would be talking about headlights on cars so we can see where we're going. But guys, listen, most of us have learned to be Christians with the headlights on the rear of the car and not in front where they're supposed to go. And we almost think it's this noble thing, like look at me wisely and expertly live through life, and we confidently drive into the darkness or into the doubts, and then we wreck We put it in the median, we put it down in the ditch, and we're like, oh, what, what happened? I couldn't see what was going on. Maybe I should turn around so there's some light, and Jesus will explain and get me back. Jesus said, no, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Let the light go first. Let the light go first. Guys, is Jesus' light going first for you right now? I think a lot of us try to step into the darkness and even lean into the doubt, the danger, without the light of Jesus. And is it any wonder that our souls are an absolute wreck? There's one more important way that Jesus needs to be first, though. Let's talk about this. It's not just that he's spatially first, like out in front of me. Um, It means that Jesus is first in preeminence over me. Or if you don't want, maybe that word's not helpful, let's, let's talk about authority. Meaning I'm not autonomous. And meaning I don't, listen, if Christianity is a counterculture, here's what the gospel says about our cultural ethic. You, not only can you not self-rule, you don't have a right to self-rule. Jesus rules over you. So what does it mean for Jesus to go first? Well, here's his word. So I have his will for me. I have his desire for me, I have his intention for me. Now as a rescued rebel, I have these remaining rebel tendencies in my heart. Tendencies towards self-rule, do what I wanna do for my gratification, for my satisfaction. So for Jesus to go first then, anytime time my desires come in conflict with Jesus' desire for me, my desire's gotta die. Anytime my will comes in conflict with Jesus' will for me, my will dies. Anytime my preference comes in conflict with Jesus' preference for me, my preference dies. It's submission, fam. For Jesus to go first means he's out in front. We're following his voice. His light is lighting our path. But it also means that when we come to a fork in the road, we don't have the liberty to say, Jesus, I'm taken this way, and I'll see you on the other side. No, Jesus goes first, and so our feet follow his path. And that's good because his path is the path of life. And fam, look, we're all in life together. We're a small church, and I know I know a lot of your stories, like your unfolding stories right now. And I just want to say, as a friend and as a pastor, many of us in this room, right now, in this season, have desires that have not that are tempting us to step away from. Jesus being first, we have hopes for things or dreams for things, and what's going on in our souls is we are being fed a narrative that's kind of self-generated, but it's also out here, and the narrative is, I, uh, I can step out this way, and my heart will be satisfied, I'll find what I'm looking for, and submission to Jesus, Jesus would be drudgery and death and darkness, not light. And guys, fam, listen, the Father in his mercy and his kindness is speaking to you personally this morning before, before you act on that consideration and take the fork in the road and you go first to know that Proverbs would say there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof. I was soaking James, I'm sorry. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Jesus first is always life, fam. Even if it means in the interim, you die to your desire, you die to your will, you die to your autonomy, you let Jesus go first. It will always lead you to life and away from death. Don't believe the alternative narrative that your heart is spinning. And don't believe the narrative that our culture would spin for you. You let Jesus go first and you stay close. No social distancing with Jesus. Wake than six feet Hogum, him let his light light your path life is when jesus goes first death is when we step away on our own that's what the father would be saying to us in kindness this morning so we believe jesus believe who he is in the messy stuff of life that we saw in isaiah 43 we follow jesus he goes first time place authority his word not my word Maybe the cell phone's got to stop being the first thing that we look at in the morning. Right? Maybe I need to go buy a real alarm clock. Maybe you need to go buy a real alarm clock. Uh, we got to work at this, fam. we got to work at it. Jesus first. Thirdly, drop your rocks. Oh, I, I wrote dro- drop your rock and roll. It should probably be drop your rocks and your rebellion, but however you want to go with that. So this brings us back to the first part of John 8, right? Uh, the religious leaders drag this woman out. She's been caught, like, it's kind of unclear in the English, but if we had, a like, a, a, a street-level translation of this, she's caught in the act and dragged out in, I mean, on the spot into the street. And again, just for clarity, she's being used as a prop. The religious leaders don't care about her soul. They're going to allow her to be shamed and embarrassed, to further an argument that they have with Jesus. she's not Again, she's not even the main point of what's going on. They need a prop so they can catch Jesus, and she's there. So they bring her to Jesus. Jesus says, all right, go ahead. Whichever of you is without your own sin, go ahead. Throw the first stone, right? Go ahead. But then he gets down into the the dirt, and he starts to write. And you saw the text. We heard it read. We don't know what he wrote, okay? So there's a lot of speculation. But he gets down, he gets down, He starts writing in the dirt, and um, a lot of people think he was writing an Old Testament passage of Scripture, maybe right out of Isaiah 43, where he's already been talking about I am he, maybe. I don't think so. What I have long thought, and I think what a lot of scholars would agree is, because notice what order did the crowd start leaving in? Oldest to the youngest, right? I think he started with the oldest man's name, and I think he wrote... A secret sin, just a, a sin that was not known beyond himself, and then the next oldest guy, and something shameful about his life. Next oldest guy, and so on and on and on. And so that one at a time, from oldest to youngest, they peel off. So Emma and I were talking about this text, uh, this story, this morning before we came in, and she was asking some great questions. Again, like the question asked, like, where's the dude? So clearly, they don't care about justice, and they don't care about woman, this woman. They are just, they're just trying to win an argument, and they will burn her on the way. And so when she asked me that, I began thinking, yeah, where, where is the dude again? Just kind of revisiting that. And so I wonder if when Jesus got down into the dirt, he wrote the dude's name, and the dude was one of them, and they were protecting a religious leader who had a reputation in the community and the woman would take the fall for his infidelity because that never happens. And so one at a time, they peel off and they leave. We don't know, family, but here's what we know. When we get close to Jesus' word, he intends to use that word to, ex- to reveal our own hearts for own good so that our own rebellion would be revealed and dealt with and that so that we could turn from that rebellion and and walk into the light with Jesus the way they were using the father's word were they were using it like as a rock right they they read it and they wanted to pick up this rock and crush the woman who was living in rebellion to the father many of us have experienced that kind of christianity fam and if we treat the word that way and we read it and what we see are other people's sins and not our own, we are no different than the people in that crowd. And this year we have used our father's word like a rock in the lives of people, maybe people we know, maybe people on social media. But if we keep using the father's word like a rock, that rock is going to roll back on us and crush our own soul. But only after we have done so much damage to the people around us, he calls them out on this. So if you want to live beautifully in 2022 or your third way not to die, fam, you got to drop your rock. You need to get alone with the Father with a piece of paper and a pencil and confess all of those people you know that you have been judging in your own heart or maybe even publicly the people you want to throw rocks at and confess that junk and then burn your paper and implore the Father to reorient your heart so that you're not using his word as a rock against people in the year to come. So we all have rocks that need to drop, but listen, we all have rebellion that's got to be dropped too. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Some of you need to be caught in the act of adultery so that you can know freedom because you're a slave right now and you need need it to come into the light because as long as it's in the dark, it owns you. You need it to come into the light. She was active with a person in flesh and blood. In our generation, the greater danger and the greater likelihood that you will never be caught is that most adultery now happens behind a screen it's powerful and it's pervasive and it owns. It makes you its slave. But this passage is not picking on adultery. Certainly not this woman. We clearly see that in Jesus' response. But it's, just not, it's not just rocks in here that need to be dropped. It's rebellion. And you may not be actively committing adultery right now, but every one of us have an act of rebellion going on in our lives right now that may be secret or not, that will absolutely destroy you or destroy me, and Jesus would say to us exactly what he said to the woman, woman, where are the people who condemn you? She's like, I don't know, they're gone. Well, I don't condemn you either. Now what? Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin, or we could say it this way, kill your sin, or it will kill you in 2022. You got to put it to death through the work of Jesus. I want to point one order out before we start to wrap. Notice Jesus gives her mercy first, uh, religion and maybe some hyper conservative circles of Christianity that we 've come from we, we have the or legalistic circles we have this idea that you need to clean up before you can come to God. You need to leave your sin, and then the Father will look at you. but guys, we just came through advent, and the Father sent Jesus down into the the deepest pit of our brokenness. He came to us first, and he rescues us, He gives mercy first, he gives kindness first, he gives grace. First, And then he looks you in the eye and says, son, I just rescued you from this brutal taskmaster. Don't make yourself a slave again. Daughter, I just set you free. This, this, slave, this taskmaster was eating you up and destroying you. Be free. Go leave your life of sin. Go leave your life of rebellion. Let Jesus be first and follow him on the path of life. So we have believe Jesus, he is who he says he is, follow Jesus, drop your rocks, drop your rebellion, and the fourth, and just briefly, fam, this year we need to work from a place of rest. And I just want to show you this from verse uh, verse one, chapter eight, it says this, remember he had just finished at the feast of booze, and then John says everybody or they went each to his own house, everybody went home, but where'd Jesus go? Where'd he go? Mount of Olives. Why does Jesus go to the Mount of Olives? Not for the olives. I don't think Jesus liked olives. Olives were nasty. So it's just a sign of the fall. Like when the kingdom's restored, olives will be gone. I have stories about olives, but I'll spare you this morning. Just take my word for it. Um, why do you go to the Mount of Olives? That was really cheesy. I'm sorry. He went to be alone. But not really. We'd be fooling ourselves if we think that's what Jesus was doing. Why did Jesus go to the Mount of Olives? to be with his dad. Guys, this isn't a one-off. This is Jesus' rhythm all through the Gospels. This is the way of Jesus. And the way of our culture is that we focus on doing first. Even the way of cultural Christianity is do first, do this, do that. And so we work and we work and we work and we wear ourselves out and we burn our souls out and we're like, oh, I I should rest so that I can go work again. The gospel gives us a better and more beautiful counterculture. We don't work for rest, we work from rest. This is the way of Jesus. And How do we rest? We go to a place where there can be silence and there can be solitude, no screens, no noise, no interruptions, so that we can hear our Father's voice clearly and in an uninterrupted way because that is precisely what our souls need. Our souls are beat down, burned out, worn down. We're weary, which, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What am I going to give you? Rest. You don't get rest by doing. You get rest through being. If we're going to live beautifully in this coming year, family, if we're not going to die, we've got to focus more on our being and less than our doing. Because in a gospel culture, our doing always flows from our being. And our being is, I'm a son. You're a daughter. And a healthy son and a healthy daughter prioritize Prioritizes time alone with their father to hear the father's voice so that Jesus can go first. We can believe he is who he says he is. We can follow him. We can drop our rocks. We can drop our rebellion. And we can live from rest, not work for it. I think there's a lot we need to hear in all four of these points. But I am afraid this last one is may, not most important. So important, but so quickly passed by. We don't have time for that. I sat down after the first sermon and a thought came to mind. um, What do you call it when you accrue all your leave and don't use it? What's it called? Use or lose. When I was a kid, that's not what we called it. Terminal. Thank you. Some old person in the room just said terminal. Terminal do we not call it that anymore? Dude, I'm sorry. Thank you. But you can save it up. Because that's what I was always say. I only did one enlistment five years. I'm like, oh, this is my terminal leave. Like, I never use it. I just always saved it up for my terminal. So that when I got out, I had like 89 days, 90 days, maximum allowable. Thanks for that. Sorry for the, you're right. Use or lose. Terminal. What if terminal leave is actually named appropriately? In that you think you're saving it so it'll be better then. What if it's actually terminal because that's what happens in your soul when you don't prioritize the rest that is being given to you in the season that you're in now? What if we save it all for the future and be like, I'll rest then. All the while the father's saying, I want you to rest first and I want you to rest now. Fam, to the extent you're able, I understand there are constraints beyond your control, so this is not a guilt trip, to the extent you're able, we got to be serious about this and start using our leave for our own souls and for the souls of our families and for the well-being of our families. Let's stop saving. That's what the culture does. And guess what? It doesn't work. It burns the souls of people out. Let's go to the Mount of Olives. Let's be alone with our father and let's make it a habit, not a one-off. You got a week till the new year starts. You can sit down. Maybe you're single. Maybe you got a spouse. You can map it out. Two days, two days a month if you're in a relationship. One day is for your spouse. One day is for you. They go alone. You go alone. You're single, bonus. Like you're only burning 50% of that as much. One day a month, spread it out. Why? Not for recreation, but for rest and renewal, Fam. We need one thing. We need to be alone with our dad and we need his voice to renew our soul. Back to that temptation about the cult that our culture would give us where they're gonna look you in the eye and say, change your circumstances, soul will be satisfied. Change your routine. Change your partnership. Change your relationship. Change, 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 change. The Father says, rest. Hear my voice and in hearing my voice, your soul will be renewed. I gotta be done. Grant's gonna come now and lead us in a a responsive song, and then in communion. And while he's coming, I would encourage you, um, you can put these four areas, I'm gonna put them right up on the screen. Believing Jesus, following Jesus, dropping your rocks, dropping your rebellion, working from rest. Do you know the last verse of, that we read this morning said that as Jesus was talking, many people were believing Wouldn't it be beautiful if, as we explored John 8 this morning, the same thing could be true of us, that many of us would be believing? So let me ask you this question. What would it look like right now? What would change right now if we actually believed that Jesus is who he said he is? And maybe as we sing and respond, let's confess and let's rest in the beautiful truth of the gospel, okay? Let's pray and respond together.